Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day, but this is really your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask your questions and voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind. You can speak with the Premier one-on-one, just please keep it short and respectful. All right, Premier Danielle Smith is ready and waiting to take your calls or texts. You should know the numbers, but here they are just in case in Calgary, 403. 9748255 in Edmonton 7804960063 Premier Smith welcome to the show Hey Wayne So let, before we get to those phones and texts let's talk about what you probably don't want to talk about but it's what a lot of other people are talking about and that's your comments about talking to prosecutors regarding the COVID-19 health violations Now some say it's another Casey Madu case of political interference Oh my Mont Royal political scientist Dwayne Bratt said the comments appear to be a political calculation to try to appeal to the broad electorate. Former Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi yesterday said, quote, if you never talk to anybody or never talk to any prosecutors about it, she's showing a pattern of if you're being polite, exaggerating, if you're being less polite, lying about conversations she's had. And NDP leader Rachel Notley was more direct. She says, quote, clearly lying is happening and she wants an independent investigation to get some answers. So what's happening here? How did you get to this point? Of, of course, I've never called a crown prosecutor. You're not allowed to do that as a politician. Everyone knows that. And I, just, I, I took legal advice when I first got elected to find out if there was anything I could do to address issues that I'm quite concerned about as the, the prosecution of those who were, uh, had been charged during COVID. I think everyone knows my views on that. And I, the advice I was given is that the only thing a crown prosecutor can consider is whether there's a reasonable likelihood of conviction and whether it's in the public interest. When uh, I have raised, I, the only person I can raise this with as well, this is again, very well known. Uh, you can talk to your attorney general and their deputy. And so uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask them if they had looked at these cases in that light. They confirmed that that is the measure that Crown prosecutors use when they're looking at these cases reasonable likelihood of conviction if it's in the public interest and we're letting the court process play out. So I may have used some imprecise language, but my contact with the Justice Department has always been through the appropriate channels, and that's the Attorney General. All right. So in other words, no need for an uh, investigation, independent or otherwise, uh, because you just said everything that you say is under scrutiny and you've got to go through the proper channels. You have to. Uh, Everyone knows that. And I would say that uh, the department has confirmed I have not talked to Crown prosecutors and the the the, uh, the association itself has issued a statement saying I have not talked to, to Crown prosecutors. The My language may have been imprecise. In, in I was referring to the Justice Department. My contact there has always been through the Attorney General Tyler Shandro and his deputy. All right. Let's switch gears. On last week's show, you said you were going to send a letter to Prime Minister Trudeau to urge him to mention to Japan's Prime Minister during his visit on Thursday about Alberta's desire to supply liquid natural gas. First question is, do you know whether the PM did that? Uh, Second, I think the public uh, record is that instead, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, gave a public lecture on the need to decarbonize when he spoke with the Japanese Prime Minister. Well, here's the thing. I think we all know that uh, we have to see a reduction in emissions. That that much, I think there there is a widespread public consensus uh, on. So I, 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 I'm going to take it in, in that spirit because when we talk about decarbonizing in Alberta, we talk about carbon capture, we talk about hydrogen, we talk about bitumen beyond combustion. We talk about all the ways in, in which we're, we're going to be adopting new technologies, small modular nuclear, geothermal. So I think everybody is working towards 
reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But LNG, the LNG story is an essential part of that. And what I wanted <clears throat> to make sure was that he didn't blow it this time, because when the German chancellor came, he said there was no business case for LNG. I can assure you there is a very, very strong business case to export LNG, particularly to our, our friends in Japan. And I wanted to make sure that he didn't uh, convey a message that was inaccurate. And in fact, I was happy to see he said that he's going to have a Team Canada trade mission to uh, to Japan in the fall. And I, I hope that we'll be able to send in a, a delegation as a part of it so that we can make that very strong case. Now, when we have investment in the oil sands, we have companies come in, they make their investment, uh, Suncor, whatever, uh, international companies uh, coming in, making their investment. Do they go through the federal government or do they negotiate or just come in and negotiate with the Alberta government? And the reason I ask is, is the flip side then also possible that the province can be talking to other countries like Japan and Germany directly by bypassing the federal government? We have an obligation to do that. We have an obligation as part of the way our country works, where natural resources fall under provincial jurisdiction. All Albertans own the resource. I have an obligation to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to clear away regulatory barriers to make sure that our private industry is able to develop those projects. I'm, I'm happy to see LNG Canada is moving along. The number one most important thing that the prime minister could have done is signaled that he would make sure that there were no regulatory roadblocks to doubling the capacity at that facility. That would be the fastest way to get LNG in significant volumes to market. But I've been I've been talking with um, with pipeline companies and industry uh, uh, players over the last couple of, of uh, weeks and months, and there are three other potential projects that could go ahead if the, we gave the signal of regulatory certainty. The, the investment decision is waiting on seeing whether Coastal Gas Link will get completed because it's been sabotaged, there's been vandalism, it's been disrupted, and people want to make sure that it can get to the finish line. We have had such a difficult time getting projects completed. But once you've got Trans Mountain completed, which is a, going to be a, a major oil pipeline, once you've got the Coastal Gas Link completed, which is a major natural gas pipeline, there are other pro projects that are uh, that I believe are going to to uh, to get kickstarted. But we need to have the federal government and us on the same page, saying yes, we want to do this. Now, Christian Freeland, uh, to give her credit. The finance minister, she has said that the federal government is prepared to fast track energy projects that will help our friends and allies. And I, I would just like to see a little bit of proof of that. I'd like to see the federal government be on the same page with itself in, in moving forward. Okay, um, you just cut out there. Hopefully you're still there. Uh, one final question before we hit the phones and text. Now, this coming week is when our eligible Albertans can begin making their applications for those affordability payments. Uh, can you give us a brief update on the system, the portal that's being created? Uh, is it looking like it is going to be uh, able to handle everything uh, as promised? Okay, and we have lost Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, we will try to get her back. In the meantime, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and hit the phones when we return. I'm Wayne Nelson, and I will be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are indeed listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here on QR Calgary. Your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. 
Premier Smith, uh, just before we lost you, the question was uh, from me before we hit the phones. This coming week is when eligible Albertans can begin making their applications for those affordability payments. Uh, can you give us a quick update on the system of the portal that's being created? Is everything on track? Everything looking good? I am, you know, I'm so impressed with the work that our affordability and utilities minister, Matt Jones, has done with Nate Glubush, who's technology and innovation, because we we knew that we needed to work very quickly to make sure payments got in the hands of people in time for this really crucial period as expenses are going up in the January to, to April period in particular. And they worked so fast through the through the, the, the Christmas break. And we are going to be launching the portal on January the 18th so people can sign up as of January 18th, and we will do one batch payment at the end of the month on January 31st. So that allows people some time to be able to get online, to be able to uh, work out <clears throat> uh, any details they might need to, <clears throat> to put into that to put into the uh, to, into the system, we've got a, a little bit of a validation process to make sure that people are eligible, and then we'll be able to get our first payments out on January 31st. So. I'm looking forward to seeing how the how the system rolls out because we have done a lot of work making sure that it has the capacity. Because oftentimes when these when uh, new programs are launched, that everybody rushes on all at once and it can overwhelm the system. I think we've seen that even with popular w websites and news stories that happen. So we want to test the system to make sure that that doesn't occur. And so uh, we're looking forward to to seeing the launch on January the 18th. All right, let's go right to the phones. Robin has been hanging on for a long time. She has a, a health-related question. Robin calling in from Red Deer. Good morning. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith. How are you? Hey, Robin. Good, thanks. What's on your mind today? I, I hope my voice is strong enough. I just got back from Foothills Hospital where I had major surgery and excellent care. The reason I'm calling is about this uh, Red Deer Hospital, particularly the, the emergency department, this, this thing is a joke. Unless people experience it firsthand, they have no idea what's going on there. This place has just turned into a warming center for the criminal drug addicts. And the security guards know them all by name, and they sit there in the waiting room, and, and they wander around coughing and sneezing, and they're never asked to put a mask on. And you sit there for hours and hours, and then finally you just leave. You go to another ER in a sale, a comb. Uh, I was in the hospital giving, getting MRIs done for three days and I ended up with a, an attack. Tried to get in there the one night, it was impossible. Told them about it the next day. They said, well, why would you go to this ER? I said, yeah, good point. So it, it has to be, something has to be done. I think your MLAs from Red Deer here should go in there on a Friday or a Saturday night and just see how bad it really is. Robin, thanks and for the your And the they say that they're looking after everybody. That was in the paper the other day, which is a lie. It's not happening. No, Robin, I, I, sent you, I get your frustration. I'm glad that you're on the mend and that you got really good care at Foothills Hospital because I do hear that a lot, that once people get into the system, our frontline care is just second to none. L let me tell you what we announced this week to connect it to what you're, you've experienced because we identified this problem years ago that what was occurring is that there's a lot of pressure on many of our hospitals in mid-sized cities in our large cities where you do have exactly as you described, that we've got a, a gravely ill homeless population not just because of addiction and overdose, but frostbite, cardiac issues, COPD, diabetes, asthma, sepsis, uh, infection. And so what happens is that when they arrive at hospital 
and they get stabilized in their condition, they're either discharged and then don't manage their care. So they're constantly back. So we have a revolving door of the same people coming for for the, the same treatment, or they get uh, entered into the, the uh, an acute care bed because there is no place for them to go to convalesce. So we've addressed that problem in two ways this week. On on Earlier in the week, we announced a first of its kind homeless convalescence facility. It's the brainchild of Dr. Louis Franceschetti. He's been working on it for four years. And we announced that we'll be funding 36 beds there for exactly that reason, that if somebody gets stabilized in hospital, has nowhere to go to recover, they will now go to that recovery center and we'll be able to connect them to uh, addiction support services so that they can get off um, uh, drugs if that if that's one of the reasons for their homelessness. Or the, <clears throat> we can get them the or we can get them the mental health support that they need. The second thing that we did in Red Deer in particular, and I'm, I'm really interested in looking to see if we can make some progress immediately on this, is we've opened our very first recovery community. Um, Marshall Smith is my chief of staff. He was hired by the former premier as the chief of staff of mental health and addiction. And he is pioneering a brand new approach to how we deal with the, with the issue of addiction. And what we're doing there is we've opened up a facility with 75 beds, 50 male, 50 female. They've got separate uh, uh, areas where they've got separate kitchen. And we're going to be uh, doing intensive work on getting people off their addictions. It's not going to be a 30-day program. It might be three months. It might be a year. It depends what that individual is going to need. It's built on a 10-acre site so that we'll be able to create community gardens. There will be chores that need to be done. The work in the morning uh, will be therapy for half the group. And then the afternoon, they're going to be uh, taught skills and have to take care of the facility. And then it will reverse. We think that by building out these kinds of communities, giving people hope, taking it a different approach, that we're going to transform the way that we are are supporting our addicted and uh, population and our homeless population. But importantly, it will take the pressure off the health system. It just got announced this week. We're starting to, to, to redirect some of those patients. And I think you're going to start seeing a huge impact in Red Deer first. All right, let's go to Edmonton. Uh, Murray has a homelessness question. Go ahead, Murray. You're on with Premier Daniel Smith. Good morning, Premier. Hey, Murray. Uh, hi. So what you just said in Red Deer about the new treatment center, I'm very, uh, I'm so happy to hear about that. <clears throat> but I'm in Edmonton. I work uh, three blocks away from the Hope Mission. Uh, my, I get off work at midnight. I drive by the Hope Mission, and I see approximately 100 people, 50 in tents, 50 outside of the front doors, unable to get in. I called you a couple weeks ago, and I brought up the old Edmonton Remand Center. I'm seeing that building as what you described in Red Deer for children, young people, 16 to 24, a treatment center, get a job, work, do chores, as you described, pertaining to Red Deer. Will the Premier commit today to maybe asking um, Jason Nixon to get a key, open the door, and let's make an assessment of that building? It's 430 empty beds. That's my concern. What I see outside of the whole mission is shocking. I make videos and I put them up on Twitter. They're shocking, Daniel. They really are. 
I, you know, I, Murray, I, I know exactly why you're concerned about that. And it's been the, one of the top issues of our government. Uh, so going back to, to the initial election, uh, uh, Marshall Smith came on right after the, uh, the UCP got elected to bring in this new approach. He tells me we're about four years into an eight-year program of building these recovery communities out. He has done, um, he oversaw and told me the assessment has been done on the remand center and the amount of work it would take to get it into appropriate shape would take years and cost millions. And in fact, when, when we, when we partner with the private sector, we can build appropriate facilities at the right size so that, and also for cost effectively. So let me tell you about the one that we opened up in Edmonton for convalescence, because it ultimately could be the model as well for recovery is that each of the buildings has uh, 12 rooms in it because the experts who manage that facility have determined that you need to create a community. A, a massive facility of 430 kind of gets away from the intensive work that we need to do to make sure that people are getting the health care that they need, the medical uh, attention that they need, and building the community that they need as well. So I think we're going to build a new model. We, are, we have a 100% commitment to expanding the number of beds. My understanding is we've got 10 of the recovery communities that I've described that are already in process of being uh, designed and built. There will be facilities in the Edmonton area, the Calgary uh, area as well. And the the notion behind them is to keep them at a size that is going to be intimate. So 75 to I think 150 are the largest ones. And and we're just, is, as I understand it from the addiction experts, you, you do need to have that, that smaller, more intimate setting. If you're going to try to build the community because that's what gets people back and uh, giving them hope again is when they can build human connections with people, when they can develop some skills, when they can see a hope for the future, when they can have those who've gone through addiction say, hey, look, I'm on the other side of this and you can be too. That's what we're trying to build. It's a unique model. It's it's brand new. And I, I would just ask that you give it a, a little bit of time to work because I am, I'm just so impressed with the, the work that got started before me and I, I have 100% intention to carry it on. All right. I have a text message from Dell uh, calling in, uh, texting in from Edmonton. Why do seniors have to pay for uh, pneumococcal immunizations and shingles? Cheaper for AHS to pay than have a senior get sick and need ER or to see a doctor. You're right. <laughs> Let me make a note of that and I'll see if I can raise it with our health minister, uh, Jason Copping, because uh, preventative measures are are always ones that uh, that you want to be able to, to support because if you can put a little bit of money in prevention, then you're going to save money at the end, making sure somebody doesn't get sick. So I'll, I'll make a note on that. Thank you. All right. Follow-up text to our previous caller. Uh, what about those of us who are not homeless and addicted? What help is there out there for us? Do I have to pretend I'm homeless before I can get some sort of treatment for my alcohol addiction? I make a decent living, but between the high price of gas, heating my house, and paying a mortgage, I couldn't afford treatment centers' prices if I try it. Uh, that you were helping out the homeless and their addictions, you know, the ones who don't pay any property taxes or tax. How about help for those of us who are paying for the homeless services? I know that my uh, my issues management staff is listening to this call, so I would just ask. I'll, I'll have a more precise answer for you when I get the the um, the phone number. But we have again, when I say that we have have changed the approach 
for uh, how we treat mental health and addiction in this province. I'm talking across the board for exactly the reason that was just mentioned there. Normally, it is uh, extraordinarily expensive. It can be up to $30,000 to do some of these in-bed treatment centers if you're having to pay out of pocket. We, we want to make sure that every person has access to the care that they need. Addiction is a health issue, and we should treat it as a health issue, and we are treating it as a health issue. So we do have a hotline that allows for anybody to uh, call and be able to get access to um, to to, uh, to addiction treatment support. I'll just ask my staff to send that so I can mention it um, when, uh, when when we return, Wayne. Right. But that's the other issue too, is that this is a reason why we want to build so much capacity is is we want for every person who needs to get the uh, the addiction treatment support to be able to make the approach and get the care that they need. And, and, and those who have jobs, those who have family members, those who have a great social supports that they may only need to have a shorter stay, but those who don't have any of those wraparound supports around them, they may need a longer stay. This is for everyone. Really. I, I was okay. framing it in the context of our homeless population, because that is the one that we see every single day when yes. we go on the streets, especially in Edmonton, Calgary, but I see it in Medicine Hat. We see it in Wetaskiwin. We see it in our mid-sized communities as well. That's our most acute problem, oh. but this is, this is designed to be for everyone. All right. Uh, we're going to go to Edmonton on the phones. Joanne, I think I'm pronouncing your name right. Anyways, uh, I believe it's regarding the affordability program applications. Go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, uh, Premier. My name is Joanne. I would like to know who doesn't have computer like me. I'm 85 years old. And what happened? We won't get $100. We want to make sure that everybody who is eligible for the supports is able to get them. And I know how hard it is for seniors, especially with the extra cost of the home heating and electricity, the extra cost of food and also prescriptions. And so what we want to do is make it accessible. We decided to model the same kind of approach that the federal government did when they rolled out their emergency benefits by having a portal that you go online you uh, attest that you uh, qualify, and then we can sign you up so that you can get the dollars in the account. Because and what about for those people that don't have a computer? I think that's what her correct. question correct. was. Correct. So I don't know if she lives in a care facility, but I did go visit a care facility when I was down um, in, in uh, Brooks Medicine Hat recently, and the caregivers are going to bring around iPads to assist all of the uh, residents of the lodges in being able to sign up. So I'm assuming that's going to happen at, at most. Um, I'm uh, hoping that um, the, the last caller has a family member who might be able to bring an iPad over that would be able to help um, or somebody who can take her to a registry. We're going to have our registry services able to provide that kind of, of support. Um, it, and if there is any trouble, I would just ask her to call her MLA and then her MLA will be able to connect her with somebody who, who will be able to assist. I think our FCSS as well, those are our hub centers for how we do social supports. I think they'll be offering that support as well. My, from what I observed, the, the federal system worked worked pretty well. It seemed to me that most people who needed the support were able to get it. So I've got a lot of confidence that if um, if people um, are, are willing to lend a hand to their neighbor who might not be uh, have as much access to the technology, we can get this done. All right. A text message from uh, Chad Edmonton. I know people that will not opt in for the reimbursement you were giving for heating taxes, etc., because they have to go through the digital ID and they think that digital ID is a WEF, W-E-F is what the uh, texture has spelled. Uh, can you explain why they have to go through this method? 
you know what, from a responsible point of view, you, you can't just hand out $100 bills to, to people. You, you have to be able to demonstrate to the Auditor General that you're being responsible with money. And I, I accept that there's some frustration that uh, some people are, are very untrusting of the, the digital approach. But um, I, th- I think most people are used to having access to a digital bank account and using their debit card and using their credit card. And I hope people will look at it in that light. This is not about tracking. It's not about creating IDs. It's, it's not about denying access to service. It's about getting support to the people who need it. And uh, if, uh, if if people don't need it, they won't sign up for it. But we, we know that we've got a, an urgent affordability crisis for our most vulnerable. We are going to do the automatic payments to those who are on our programs and uh, others who have children uh, or those who are seniors. They, they can. Uh, they, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for them to sign up. If, if people don't wish to, then that's their choice. But uh, we, we also have to make sure that uh, we've put a program in place that's going to to, to be uh, able to be validated. I think we saw at the, that there is always danger that uh, if you don't put these kind of protections in place, that the Auditor General will come along and say that that money got misspent. And, and we want to be responsible with taxpayer money. So right. this is, the I think, a reasonable balance. Norm is calling in from Calgary, also on the affordability program. Go ahead, Norm. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hello, uh, Premier. Um, i got to say, I'm very disappointed as an individual and, and as a community uh, person that is communicated with other individuals regarding the Alberta Affordability Program. You know, this is really for a select group of people, and you miss the mark. I mean, how can you have a person that's automatically getting money that's on age, and yet a 20-year-old student who is barely making ends meet, having to pay rent, having to pay the enormous costs of energy, utilities, uh, you know, this should be for every Alberta. I can understand putting the $180,000 threshold in place, but you've missed the mark on the majority of Albertans who are suffering. And I'm sorry, your excitement about the Alberta Energy Affordability Program is lost on me and many, many people that I've spoken to about this subject. Well, you know, we we had to make a, some choices about how we were going to roll it out. And I know that there are other um, places like in Saskatchewan where they've decided to give $500 to every adult over the age of 18. Uh, we felt like that was also uh, potentially going to give money to people who didn't need it and not support those who needed it the most. So you, you have to make choices. And when we did our assessment, we know that <clears throat> it's families with kids who are facing additional costs because of groceries and activities. We know that it's our seniors who are facing additional cost on fixed income because a gain of uh, groceries and the cost of pharmaceuticals. There's there's lots of other measures that we are putting in place to help everyone else. I, I would just urge you to go and look at, for instance, at what the cost of gasoline is in British Columbia. Last time I checked, it was a buck sixty-three a liter. Here it's a dollar twenty-two. I think in the last um, uh, the last gas station I went by, forty cents a liter on every liter of gas. That's forty cents that every family is going to save on every trip to the grocery store. It's forty cents that every truck is going to save when they're taking uh, goods and services and food to to grocery stores. Every single Albertan is going to benefit from that. That's probably the most significant savings that we've got, and that is a savings that uh, that everybody gets. There has been uh, some discussion on previous shows, uh, Premier Smith, about looking into gouging, price gouging at the pumps. Um, there was word that you, your government and uh, prior to you, uh, Premier Kenny, would, would crack down or at least look into uh, those companies. Has any of that been done? Has there been any action taken? 
I know that my finance minister and my minister of affordability and utilities, Travis Taves and Matt Jones, have reached out to the industry. They've had meetings with members of the industry and they're uh, they're proceeding to to talk with them about what we can do on a go forward basis to reduce those costs. I I, I know that 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 uh, a freeze has been proposed, and if that may that may be a first step that we have to do is we're analyzing what needs to be done. But I think most people want to see their rates go down, and we need to get to the bottom of why it is the rates have gone so out of control in Alberta. I, th- I think it's it's pretty hard to argue when you look at that Ernst and Young report. It showed that it doesn't matter what car you drive, doesn't matter what your age is. It uh, in Alberta, your rates are higher than the rest of the of the country, and so what, what if we can do something to make sure that we address that? Then, I, I, then I think that that's where people want to see us go. But we have to work collaboratively with the the industry to identify those those issues that are driving those costs, and then address them one at a time. And that and that that work has already started. And we'll, I hope that our our ministers will have something more to say on it soon. What about the pump prices variation, though? That's that's that was what I was getting at. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you you talked about auto insurance. The pump price variation. Oh, well, you know what? That's I, I've been a. I've been talking to Dan McTeague for years on that issue. And the the issue around pump prices is always, are we passing on the savings? And I, and I look at the um, the fact that we're paying $1.22 here and they're paying $1.63 in British Columbia. You look across the country that our uh, pump prices are 20 cents less than everyone sure. else. I'm, I'm confident that our prices are being, uh, that our savings is being passed on. It just so happens because of the volatility of, uh, of gasoline that they, uh, when the wholesale prices go up, then that's the price that all the retailers are paying. And so all the retailers eventually have to have to put their prices up too. I, I know it's frustrating for people, but it's the reason why we brought through the reduction in the fuel tax. But is somebody is keeping that, track of of that yes. to ensure? And, and Yes. Okay. Dale right. Nally announced he was. He said he has a monitoring division in his Ministry of Service, Alberta, and red tape reduction. They did an initial per, uh, review, and they did not see any evidence of price gouging. If you do price gouge, it's, there's a huge penalty. It's, I think, $300,000 fines, and there's even jail time associated with it. So we take it very seriously. All right. Uh, switching gears. Uh, Ed, calling in from Olds. A school system question. Go ahead, Ed. Yes, Danielle. I, uh, everybody that's listening... You should worry, wake up and check into woke in our school systems. It's a bunch of garbage, and they're brainwashing our kids right from kindergarten. Uh, Ed, that- did you have a, a question? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess that's the oh. question. Thanks for that, Ed. So uh, I, I, uh, I understand that whenever... There are stories of perhaps certain teachers teaching material that people perceive to be age inappropriate. I, th- I know that there's an impression that every teacher is doing that. I, I think that there are uh, individual isolated cases that are causing some concern. And the appropriate way for, for dealing with that has, has been uh, uh, through the school boards. We, we, we do trust that our, our local school boards have the uh, ability to address that. If, th- if things are serious and they rise to a level of teacher discipline, we've already established a separate teacher discipline uh, process. We, we began that at the beginning of January. So I, I don't know if the kind of thing that you, that you're talking about would be would be something that would rise to that level, uh, but that's that's the approach that that we're taking. I would just I would just urge you know the I always found this it's it's funny I always found because I was on the school board back in 1998, I always found people were concerned about 
the school system in general, but then you ask them, well, what about your local school? They say, oh, no, my local school is fine. And so that's why I, I don't want to, to brush the entire system because we have a couple of isolated stories that we're concerned about. Yes, we should always be concerned if there isn't balance being taught in the classroom. And um, But please raise those issues with your, with your MLA if we need to look into them further. All right. Chris is texting in, said, what's happening with the Alberta Provincial Police? The Alberta Provincial Police is something that uh, I've asked for Mike Ellis to to look into to see if uh, if if it makes sense for us to do. I, I personally support an Alberta Provincial Police uh, because I think that we can have an approach here that not only allows for us to have um, the integration with our other types of of, uh, of services that we provide, but I think we can also help to to train uh, our police officers. In the modern in the modern issues that we're dealing with in policing, that's why I've been supportive of an Alberta provincial police. Is I, I think that we're we're no longer uh, necessarily looking to our police for a paramilitary response. Many of the calls they take are mental health and addiction, and I think we have to be lim- nimble to be able to adjust to that new reality in training. So I've been supportive of it, but I'm going to let my, my minister do the work on that and and report back to me on what he thinks the best path forward is. All right, a text message from Paul. Uh- Myself and two other land advocates have concerns with gas operators who are intent on changing how annual compensation is paid to rural landowners. Secondly, we have concerns that the LPRT favors the energy sector by reducing costs to landowners when the operators have unlimited access to lawyers and other experts. Not a level playing field for rural Albertans. We would like to meet with you, Tracy Allard, and Nate Horner at your earliest convenience. Now, I do have a contact number should you decide to uh, pursue that. But let's uh, address the questions, if we could, Premier Smith. Yeah, no, I've I've heard that there are. I mean, there's there's clearly some big problems in um, in surface rights payments. I think, as I understand it, we have got 250 million in unpaid property taxes from energy companies, and 250 million about or thereabout in unpaid uh, landowner leases. Now, it was a, a problem that got very acute during the period where our energy companies were struggling and going out of business. I don't know that I've received updated numbers, but the I've I've heard this common problem that trying to get the a judgment and get the dollars flowing again has been complicated. So by all means, the first thing I'd say is is meet with with Nate Horner on it, uh, meet with uh, with Parliamentary Secretary Tracy Allard, and if there are any issues that I need to be pulled in, then I'd I'd be happy to. But I, I tend to like to to let my ministers sink their teeth into an issue and then give me recommendations about how to proceed. So that would be the best thing that you could do. All right. Natalie, uh, calling in from Calgary, homeschool funding. We'll take this call before we go to a break. So let me make sure I push the right button. Natalie, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi there, Premier. It's so lovely to speak with you directly. Um, I am a second-generation home educator, and I have a question about home education funding. I recently read a report that the average student in Alberta going to public or Catholic school receives about $16,000 per year in funding to be able to do that schooling. So that's to pay for the building, to pay for the heating, to pay for all of the things that the school needs to run, as well as the um, the teacher's salaries and the principal and the cleaning staff. So $16,000 per student per year in Alberta. Um, whereas for a home education student, we are given $1,700 for a year per student, but the parents actually only get half of that as our home education board has to take the other half. So my question is, can there be a change in 
um, I guess, a, a, a more of a balance to the amount of funding that we receive as home education parents. Growing up, my parents received $650. So over 30 years, it's only gone up $200. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So my, Le- my question is, yeah, we're... When let me have. Balance? Let me take a stab at a couple of those things. I th- I think the numbers you're quoting might be a little bit high. I think that all in the cost of uh, educating a student in public education is uh, somewhere around eleven thousand dollars, and the amount that we give to uh, for homeschooling is I think eight hundred and fifty. And you're quite right. If you're with a, a board, those dollars uh, go to the go to the board. Where uh, the priority that I have right now in education is making sure that we address the issue of mental health and we address the issue of learning loss. I think our kids have been through an awful lot in the last two and a half years. And so I've asked Minister uh, LaGrange as part of this new budget process to make those her two priorities. This would be uh, something that would require much broader consultation, but I, I do hear it a lot. Is there any way that we can get a little more parity in all of the different approaches to, to how people educate. What I love about our province, and this goes back to Ralph Klein, is that you've got choice with public, with Catholic, with uh, private school, with uh, homeschooling, with charter schools. And we want to make sure that uh, everybody has an opportunity to, to choose the type of education they want for their child. So I have heard that there's some frustration about the, the lack of parity, but but that I think is 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 going to, um, to have to take a little bit longer to consult on to see what the solution might be. All right, it's time for break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. And boy, we are just slammed on the text lines. Uh, I'm trying my best to get to, well, there's no way we're going to get to everybody, but I'm trying my best to get to different topics. So please be patient. Phone lines are busy as well. Danielle Smith, you are a very popular person today. Lots of questions, that's for sure. Uh, I want to go to the text line, and this one coming in from... Wait, if I could pause you for a minute, because I think this is really important to deal with the question of of addiction. Oh, yes, that's right. You did get the answer to that. I do feel like people may not realize just how transformative the approach is that we've taken in Alberta, because this happened in, 19, in 2020. We removed financial barriers to addiction treatment, and we've eliminated user fees for all Albertans accessing publicly funded treatment beds. Before, it was $40 per day. Now, uh, people are able to access these programs without charge because we recognize this as an essential part of providing appropriate health care. So, um, so, so I want people to know that they can call a number. They can call 211 and ask for the addiction helpline. There's also a number that you can call directly, uh, which is one 866 332 2322 to get support. You get information to a referrals to services. It's toll free. It's confidential. It operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'll just say the number one more time because if everyone was scrambling for their pen, I want them to be able to go and grab it. But this is this is vitally important. We we take mental health and addiction issues very seriously and we look at it as part of the healthcare system. So if you want to call the addiction helpline, 1-866-332-2322. And let me know, uh, let us know your experience because our our intention by the time we build out all of our recovery communities is that we should be able to address every person's um, addiction need and and be able to chip away at this problem. Okay, let's get to uh, the text lines before we come back to the phones. Uh, phones are very busy as well. This one uh, coming in from Tom. He says, I was laid off in late 2021 and with his severance paid for six extra months. He made over the 180K threshold that year. This is for the affordability program. I haven't worked since. 
However, he says, my wife and I made a total of 54K uh, in 2020. I'm 67. My wife is 66. I believe that we do not qualify. Is mm-hmm. there any way to correct this? That's a, a good question. Um, maybe he can uh, take his particular case to his MLA and uh, we'll be able to address those. We, we, we want to be make sure that as many people who need the support as possible get it. Um, and we're trying to, again, we're trying to be responsible by using uh, publicly uh, disclosed data, not publicly, but disclosed data. And that's why we went back to the 2021 tax year. I, I take your point that a lot of people experienced hardship in 2022. If we need to make tweaks to the program along the way, I know Matt Jones will will be able to identify those and we can see what we can do. But uh, just just make sure that you tell your MLA so that those can can get elevated to our affordability and utilities minister. I've made a note of this, and and I'll I'll raise that with him to see if there's anything he can do about it. There's a lot of questions on the on the text lines today about the eligibility requirements for the affordability program. Is there one single place that people can go to to get their answers on who qualifies, what the threshold is, how much they'll get, uh, all that kind of stuff? Uh, yes, we do have a portal. So I'm just going to get my uh, staff once again to send me the link to that. Okay. And I'll make sure I say it before the end of the before the end of the show today. Next question. Do you have uh, another? I, I don't want to delay because no, it sounds like we, you got a lot. So uh, let me oh, wait on that one. Yeah, there 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 is there is a whole slew of text messages on both the uh, uh, QR Calgary line and the Ched line. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, William has been hanging on here for probably most of the show. He's calling in from Sangudo. Uh, William, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Finally. Yeah, there I am. Uh, good morning, Danielle. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning. Hey there. Yeah, I'm just wondering, Danielle, you know, everything we do is for the children. we got to give them hope for the future. So will you start investing more funds in renewable resources? And are you aware of just how much employment it would create? It would be massive. The prosperity would be it would be immense the prosperity the future is going electric you know we could build large warehouses jobs build electric cars in these warehouses jobs solar panel in these warehouses jobs charging station in these warehouses jobs wind turbines jobs do you see where i'm going with this we'd have so much employment and people would have hope for the future I, I think that each jurisdiction has to be looking at renewable energy that makes sense for the geography and the natural endowments that they have. We certainly do have a lot of wind endowment in southern Alberta, and so in certain parts of the province it makes sense to do wind. We've got uh, lots of days of sunshine that makes sense, on uh, uh, certainly on buildings in urban centres, that, that also makes sense. But I, I, we have to also understand that there are limitations because we are a northern climate. And we do have a, a, a large number of days with uh, with with, uh, with short days and also with, with terrible temperatures. I mean, I I watch the the uh, what happens with wind and solar when we end up with the, that really heavy cold air mass, and we end up with zero wind and solar being generated from it. So what I want to do is make sure that we are adding more reliable long-term load to the grid. And to me, that looks like geothermal. To me, if we can get those uh, those different types of sources on a battery backup so that they're constantly able to work year-round, that'll be a solution. But I think we're also going to be looking more towards our hydrogen economy and uh, and how we build that out. I, I'm of the view, and I, I think we need to be very clear about this, that 
It costs money to upgrade the grid if we were going to go 100% on electric vehicles. Tens of billions of dollars. I get people telling me how frustrated they are all the time about uh, the, the cost of distribution and transmission. I have to ask, are you willing to pay tens of billions of dollars of additional uh, 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 additional ratepayer money in order to upgrade the grid so that every person can have an electric car in their home? found out recently. We have a backlog on transformers. You need transformers in order to be able to support that extra load. We, um, we're, we're on an 80-week delay on getting transformers delivered. So I, I think that we need to have a little reality injected into this debate. I'm really excited about the potential for hydrogen in our province. We're already developing it out in uh, in Edmonton area. We've got trucks that are looking at doing dual conversions so they can do biodiesel as well as hydrogen. Uh, there are three car companies in the world, Toyota and Hyundai and Honda, that have already developed passenger vehicles for hydrogen. Just seems to me that we've got we've to gotta work with the environment that we have. And I'm all for moving to those kind of a sustainable jobs, but we have to be realistic about what we can do here. All right, one final text this is from Frank uh, in Calgary. What are we going to do with regards to training our children in healthcare, more specifically doctors? We talk about fast-tracking foreigners to come into our system, but we are doing nothing about fixing the current university system. I can tell you that has, this has been the, the topic of robust debate between my various ministers, Minister Jason Copping in health, as well as advanced education, Demetrius Nicolaitis, as well as Rajan Sani, who's our in trade and immigration, uh, and as well as my uh, Deputy Premier, Casey Madhu, who I've, I've put at the helm of, of skilled trades and professions. This this requires a, a bunch of different pieces to be working together. And I'm, I'm told by my health minister that he is working on a, a major rollout of a, of a recruitment strategy that, uh, th- that should be coming in the next couple of weeks. We, we believe firmly that every person needs to have a family doctor or a medical home, whether that's a nurse practitioner or a primary care clinic. And so that's going to be the objective that we're striving towards. And we, we need to make sure that we make it easier for kids to get educated here, graduate here, get a residency here, or if they get educated or Abroad at a UK or an Australian or uh, or Irish university, as many of our kids are going to, that we recognize their credentials when they come back here. That those who have been trained in foreign universities, let's find a fast track to make sure that they can get a readiness to practice assessment so that they can start working right away. Let's let all of our professionals across the country know that if they've been um, uh, affirmed by their colleges at uh, in another province, they they can come here and work with uh, with just a twenty day delay. These are the messages that we need to get out, and I think as we put those messages out, I think we'll be able to address some of those problems. Can I just give the um, the website? Yes, Wayne? I was going to make sure that you got that to me before we left. We did want to make it super easy. Alberta.ca slash affordable. So it, it is our uh, affordability and utilities minister. I hope people will remember that. So alberta.ca slash affordable. That's the way that you go online and get access to the portal. Premier Smith, it's been a pleasure. Again, uh, boy, just overwhelmed with text messages today and phone calls. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Wayne. We'll do it again next week. You betcha. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.